Welcome to the second season of the Brand Lab podcast, hosted by myself, Connie Nam, founder and CEO of your favorite jewelry brand, Astrid and Me. We are not just a jewelry brand, we are a movement. We are here to empower everyone. During the pandemic, I started mentoring a few business owners. Following the experience, I was looking for ways to scale the knowledge and information and decided to launch a podcast series where I interview founders and leaders for inspiration, because this is how I learned through listening and reading. After a positive response from our community last season, I sat down again with like-minded founders and industry leaders, diving into the behind the scenes and operations of cult brands across fashion, beauty, and lifestyle. You will be able to gain insight into the highs, lows, lessons learned, and the patience required in building a business or a career. Get ready to be inspired and be empowered. Please note this series has been recorded remotely, which might affect the sound quality. In this episode, I sat down with pioneer in digital editorial space, Georgie Colridge Cole founder and editor-in-chief of Sherilux. Georgie shares her journey into fashion editorial with no prior experience or contacts, now building an online publishing empire with a much larger audience, including men, underserved older demographics, as well as the Gen Z audience through her brands. Georgie also shares with vulnerability since the BLM movement how she is proactively working to ensure representation and inclusivity throughout their content. She is also a mother of three, wanted to run super fast in the early days of her career, but reminds us that things take time and patience. Hi, Georgie. Welcome to the Brand Lab podcast. Hi, Connie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. It's right up my street. Yeah, likewise. So you started Sherlux 14 years ago and ran it very successfully. I actually want to hear more about your life story, like what, what your upbringing was like, whether you had entrepreneurial parents, um, and like how you know your upbringing really influenced who you are as a business leader and a founder? Yeah, well, God, big question. Um, <laughs> I, grew up in, I grew up in London. I um, went to boarding school um, aged 11, which was probably a good thing. Otherwise, I'd have grown up even quicker. I was kind of always desperate to be grown up. I think, you know, I, I, always, I was always drawn to kind of older girls and successful women and women doing interesting things. And I guess when everyone else was playing dolls, I was kind of playing offices and, and just desperate to have a filing cabinet and a road decks. And um... Oh, that's so funny. I, I was the same. I loved playing office and being a CEO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, no, I don't play dolls. I don't play offices. Uh, I don't be a mother. Uh, no, I did. I did. Um, and yeah, I went away to school. Then after that, I went to university in Edinburgh where I read French um, which was a bit of a mistake, really. I guess the only good thing that came out of it was that I spent a year in Paris um, working for Coty, um, the, the beauty brand. Um, I actually was their first intern in London before they even had an internship program in the UK. And um, through a friend of a friend, I wrote to their MD and said, I really wanted to intern. He said, well, we've never had one, but yeah, you can come. So I actually, my first university holidays, when I think other people were going to Bali for two months, I was interning in Wimbledon where their head office um, 
in the UK was. And then I interned for them every year at university and every summer. And then, yeah, I spent my third year abroad um, at Koji in Paris and came back from university and um, went to work for them as a grad, um, which I loved. And it taught me a lot about how a large business is structured and operates. And, and I remember having a great boss who really inspired me. In fact, a couple. Um, and then they acquired the Unilever prestige business and they put all promotions on hold. And I was kind of hungry and impatient. And so I left and went to a division of Savills and worked on like essentially property marketing. Um, and it was, it was pretty dry and yeah, it's so different, right? Even if you say marketing, it's it's completely different. Completely. But I doubled my salary and I was quite driven by, I was always driven by nice things at school. I used to come home every weekend and waitress in a local restaurant, um, like every single weekend when my, my friends weren't. So I guess I was, I was always driven by, you know, wanting to make my own money. Um, my mother is a physiotherapist and, and had to work really hard actually. Um, so my father, um, yeah, has a, has a very strong work ethic. Um, and I think I definitely have that. Um, but yeah, I went to, went to the, went into the property marketing and yeah, realized it was not for me and, uh, had toyed with being a personal stylist, had, had shopped with a couple of people and realized it was, um, pretty tedious tracing up and down the King's Road on a Saturday. Uh, so, thought I might write a book or something about where to buy the best white t-shirt. People always used to come up to me and say, where did you get that? And I'd say, oh, I got it in H&M. And they say, God, I, I can never find things like that. And, and my father lived in Hong Kong when I was a child. And I, I spent my teenage years rummaging through market stalls with my stepmother, who's very savvy and has a very good eye. And I think I picked that up from her. And, and he used to, I remember he used to walk into a market in Stanley in Hong Kong and there'd be bags and bags and bags of stuff that smelled of mothballs. And you'd rummage and rummage and rummage for the best fake. Um, yeah, I, I love and, that. I love Stanley Market. Yeah, it was so, I spent hours so fun. there. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I had an eye and people used to ask me where things were from. And that led to a potential book. That seemed pretty hard. Uh, the web was kind of really taking off. And um, I, anyway, I started to research for said book. And as I was researching kind of contact details, I guess, you know, shop a gap for a white t-shirt. It can be found on Oxford Street and the website is gap.co.uk or whatever it was, gap.eu. I realized that there were quite a lot of transactional websites out there. And Nanaporte existed, the white company existed, Bowdoin, and lots of other really small, I guess, um, I guess in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of consolidation in e-commerce. But back then there were, I guess, a lot more multi-brand fashion boutiques starting to crop up. And I thought, right, there needs to be a place where you can go uh, and find a directory of the best places to shop online because Google won't give you that. Um, So long story short, I... I started to to build up the directory and and talk to my husband about it. He's quite a cynic. Um, he'd say realist. Maybe pe- pessimist is a better word. He's an accountant, and um, he said, "Actually, I think this is a great idea." And with that, I was off. Um, and well, I say off. We were off, um, and he helped me write a business plan. Um, uh, and then I, I carried on at Savills for a while until I was ready to to hand my notice in and go full-time. Oh, that's amazing. That's such an inspiring story. You are now arguably one of the pioneers in the digital media space. 
um, starting Sherlock's in the early 2007, I remember when I first started at Astro Mew, this was in 2012, print media was still a big deal. And what made you um, so determined to create something online only? I don't think I was determined for it to be online only, but I saw that, um, you know, when I thought about writing a book about Wettershop, I, I, I realized, and I think there was a book back then, I've forgotten the name now. She was called Patricia something, Patricia Davidson, that was her name. And she, she had a book on where to shop, I think. And it just felt dated and it felt like it would, yeah, it would be out of date very quickly. So there was that element and be just a low barrier to entry, I think. Um, so I love the idea of magazines, but hadn't gone down that road and, and realized that starting a, a print magazine would be pretty, pretty expensive and not something that, um, you know, I had the means to do. So I think, I think web just made sense and, and there was a low barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very practical reason and a good reason really. And you said you had a business plan. So did it, um, I guess encompass everything Sherlock is now, um, did you have that grand vision or did it just evolve organically where, where you are now? Well, it's such a funny question that because I found um, I found it the other day, and I mean, we wrote that plan in two th- the end of two thousand and five. Um, I got married in two thousand six, and I had it, and I handed my notice in two days after my honeymoon. I got back from my honeymoon. They'd given me a really nice wedding present, and I was like, "Oh God, this is too cringe." <laughs> I can't have my notice. <laughs> the day I get back. So I waited two days, but we were on honeymoon. My husband said, right, if you're going to do this, you've got to, you've got to properly go for it. Um, and, you know, give it everything. And the site went live on the 15th of February. We just missed Valentine's Day, 2007. Um, so back to your original question, yeah, you know, we found the business plan. And actually our mission was to be the first place stylish women go to before they buy anything online. And um, there was a reward scheme in there, which we kind of toyed with, uh, a kind of voucher code reward scheme. And there's a lot of discounting going on um, in in the kind of 2010, 11, 12 times, um, especially after that economic crisis. Uh, and so there were, there, were, there were elements in it which haven't happened, but a lot of, lot of the essence of it, it is where you know, where I wanted to be, which was, yeah, this, this Bible for people that were shopping online. What we did do is evolve into content and become very content driven. And actually the directory, which we launched with, which had retailers listed by fashion, beauty, um, interiors, et cetera, et cetera, that actually we, we closed that or we removed that from the site. I don't know, six, seven, eight years later. Um, because it was very difficult to maintain. And in fact, someone said to me the other day, do we need to launch a, another, a weddings direction? And I was like, being there, done that, got a t-shirt. It's so much legwork and you, know, you literally need several people to kind of maintain it. So that element of the business, it started as a direction of the best places to buy nine. That, that bit of business we shut down and we very much evolved into content. Um, initially, initially, every retailer that we featured on the site had to be transactional. You had to be able to buy what we put on the site online. It had to be a click away. And I guess that has, that has gone, you know, we now work with bricks and mortar retailers. We now promote restaurants. We, um, and I think that's the main difference. And, and we relaunched the site in about God, 2012. And I remember we ditched 
yeah, ditched the directory and really put content at the heart of the business and went from only featuring transactional businesses, online transactional businesses to lifestyle, to wellness, um, you know, to restaurants, to travel, et cetera. And that was a big turning point from the business. So back to your original question, um, it, it has... It has evolved organically. I mean, we raised money, but not very much. Um, we've now bought all our shareholders out other than, than two very small ones. Um, but weirdly, it's quite similar to the original plan. Yeah, that's amazing. And speaking of con- content, you have such a rich content and I love consuming your content, especially like the restaurants and the lifestyle element. And I actually introduced um, your website to my husband and now he looks at Sherlock to find the best restaurants, which is amazing. Hooray, and, I love yeah. it. <laughs> and you've got such a diverse content from daily news to behind the scenes to podcasts. So I think like, you know, it just becomes a go-to hub for content. Do you have anything else in the pipeline? Well, I mean, we've we've launched a lot in the last sort of year or two. So we started off with SL Man, um, which now has I think sixty five thousand um, unique subscribers, um, and that's a weekly that, that yeah goes to goes to men, um, and that's gone down really well. And that's that kind of came about from people like you saying, "Oh, I introduced it to my husband. <laughs> Why isn't there something for men?" Um, so we launched SL Man. We um, we launched the parenting edition and the wedding edition both early last year. In fact, we launched the parenting the wedding edition first, and then we launched the parenting edition in lockdown. We were like, God, if ever there was a time when um, parents needed needed something, um, it's now. And I think what we've what we've seen is that uh, in certain categories of print magazine, well, in most, frankly, um, it's very difficult to maintain a whole business you know you, you, the the wedding magazine industry is pretty much dead as is parenting men there are very few left and and to maintain an entire team um funded just by ad revenue from bridal or parenting has become you know non impossible so um we saw an opportunity having the existing infrastructure and having you know a design team in house and a marketing team in house and a commercial team in house and a content build team in house to to be able to create something um that would add very little to our overheads but also to be able to kind of um you know i guess take advantage of, of some of the ad spend that now had nowhere to go in print. So we've launched, as I said, Parenting Weddings as a Man. Uh, we also launched um, the Gold Edition this year, which is aimed at mature women. So, you know, there are lots of women, and I, I don't want to put an age on this, but, you know, my mum is 70 and there are a lot of younger women as well. I think it's more of a mindset thing, but um, equally kind of good housekeeping era of the magazine world has struggled and I thought felt quite out of date and not really empowered women in a particularly stylish way. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we've launched quite a lot recently and I feel like we've filled the gaps. We have Lux Girl, which is a YouTube first magazine style. It's a monthly show at the moment and an Instagram platform um, aimed at, again, girls kind of 16 to 24, 25, um, who perhaps used to buy girls, teen magazines that don't exist anymore. You know, we grew up reading Teen Vogue and Miz and Moore and all of those, and they've, they've kind of all gone. So I think we've, we've 
plugged all the gaps and um, our plan now is really to consolidate and to grow those and to grow the individual readerships of those and really kind of cement what we've put the foundations in for in terms of the other other the categories or the supplements as we call them. Yeah, I love that. And it brings that in- inclusivity piece, especially with the gold edition. I really love that. Mm. The gold edition is the most popular out of, I mean, they're all, they're all doing well, actually, but gold has like blown us away. Um, I'm not surprised, actually, because, you know, that segment, the older generation, there's so much spending power and like so many people that want to consume content, but not a lot of brands or, you know, content hubs are serving them. No, and there are, you know, 60-year-old women in their, there you go, I've said an age, but, you know, it's young, it's honestly younger. And there are people who message me saying, I'm 40, I know gold's not for me, but I love it. But they just might not, you know, want to be quite on the as cutting edge or, you know, I know 25-year-old women who are old before their time and 60-year-old women who are, who I just totally worship and are in their prime. And, and, and we've had... 60 year old women saying, God, we've just been totally forgotten. And we have this purchasing power and we're living in our we're living our best life and our children are grown up and you know we've got decades ahead of us and no one's talking to us. So it's been so, so thrilling to get that feedback from Yeah, God. yeah. It's so empowering, isn't it? I love that. Yeah. And and speaking of inclusivity and empowerment, I know that you personally and Sherlux have been very vocal about the BLM movement last year. I know you um, ran focus group, which I really loved. It was so authentic and it was so nice. And um, I guess like, how are you striving to become more inclusive and diverse at Sherlux? Yeah, we got it together. We held focus groups. I think it's been amazingly powerful. I mean, we held these focus groups and we brought in a load of women that weren't white, basically. They weren't all black. You know, I think that's the thing. This is not all about black women. This is about women of all races and cultures. And um, yeah, we had this amazing group of women that came in and said, look, we love Sherlock's, but, um, and we want this to be people that like Sherlock's, but want to see it change for the better. And that's basically what we got. And and anyway, we had an amazing couple of focus groups with amazing groups of women, like several of which I'm still in touch with. And it was emotional and and really revealing. And basically they were they were women like me. And one of them, Anna, I got on so well with. And I was like, we, we're the same. We might not look the same, but I don't look at you and see anything other than a stylish woman that likes you know, likes the kind of things I am and is driven by the same kind of things as I am. But I realized that I'm very lucky to have had the upbringing that I've had, the, the, you know, the privilege, if you want to call it, that I've had and that there is conscious bias. And, and, you know, we really had to go the extra mile to make women that I guess haven't been as lucky as I've been or had the opportunities that I've had um, feel included um, and to also bring them into the Sherlock team um, and we've worked with some some great coaches and some great contributors and we've worked so hard as a team to do the right thing for the right reasons and not just tick a box and do it for the sake of doing it do it because we had to do it and I'm feedback we've had has been amazing and you know a year on I'm really proud of where we are now and how we've evolved the team and our content you know, I, I think the world's a better place for it. I think change takes time, but I feel really 
proud of where we are now, but it, it's been it's been a hard time and a hard thing to overcome. But I feel like we've done it in our own way, and as I said, for the right reasons. Last year was the most difficult year, um, not least because of of lockdown and running a business in lockdown and and running a business where everyone's marketing budgets were turned off. But um, and I have to say, you know, we we then came back and had a great year. Um, so we're, we're in a great place, but literally the taps went off overnight in terms of, uh, you know, marketing spend. Um, our KPIs continued to, to grow significantly, but yeah, the, the revenue stopped. So there was that, um, but it came back, but yeah, BLM was, was something I didn't anticipate. Although I mean, long, sorry, short, trying to trying to create a more diverse workforce is something I've actually been trying to do for so many years and when the whole thing kicked off and when I say kicked off I mean I was trolled and literally verbally abused like I've never experienced um personally and the business but it was it got very personal um and I worked so hard. I remember when I launched it like someone said oh so you're a bit like Tatler online and I was like no 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 I I, I and I worked so hard to be broader than that, although to be aspirational, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I, when the whole BLM thing happened, my, and it was very public, um, my old PA who'd worked for me for five years, she messaged me and she said, wow, Georgie, the first meeting I ever had with you five years ago, you said to me, you know, we need to create a more diverse workforce. I know that this will really hurt. Hope you're okay. But I couldn't defend myself because anything I said, I was just totally taken down. And it was a very difficult time personally. Um, I'm quite sensitive, Mm. believe it or not. Uh, And I found it really hard. But in the end, I got a grip and um, put down my Instagram account for a while and um, have left it private ever since because because I couldn't take the abuse. Oh, gosh, Um, I can only imagine. And I do feel like, you know, all the focus group and all the progress you made, they do look very, very authentic. So well done, you. Thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable with me, Georgie. That that does sound like one of the lowest points for you personally and Sherlock. But on the flip side, what were the biggest highs? (laughs) Um, The biggest highs, do you know, it's little things. It's little things like someone you really admire in the industry saying, you know, I've, I've watched you, or I've followed you for years, or I've, or, or it's just a reader that said I followed you from the beginning, and I've loved seeing you evolve. I know that sounds really corny, but I think, and I'm sure you'll agree that when you start a business, I remember thinking, God, when we get, I had this thing that when we get thirty thousand subscribers, you know, it will be a big business, and you know, we have three hundred twenty-five thousand subscribers now, and and. Now I want 500,000 subscribers. <laughs> and so, you know, you move the goalposts, don't you, all the time. And, you know, we're constantly, I know you're the same, constantly in a hurry and wanting to do the next thing and wanting to keep going and not to fail. And, you know, and people say you've done so well. And you're like, whoa, don't, you know, there's that pressure to keep going and, and not be a failure, which I massively feel. Um, but I... I yeah, so I think in terms of those big things, I mean, we, we launched our spring fair actually in, um, so on the back of things like 
spirit of summer and a lot of you know, the shopping fairs being closed in lockdown, we launched um, an online spring fair um, in May. And we work with small brands and we work with lots of big brands with big budgets and we promote editorially small brands. But I guess as we've got bigger and we've got, you know, between 35 and 40 staff to pay. So, you know, we've got to work with the brands that make that possible. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always allow as much airtime for kind of small brands or small brands can't necessarily kind of, you know, afford to advertise on share that. So, but we really don't want to lose that kind of championing of women and entrepreneurship. So it all kind of made sense, you know, physical fairs weren't possible. And we were very aware that, you know, we were working with big brands that we still wanted to really give, you know, airtime and opportunity to smaller brands. Um, so that that resulted in the spring fair and we had 80 brands um, for 72 hours, giving a discount, but also also having, you know, editors picks from us. We did lots of content on Instagram, interviews, et cetera. And that was, that was really a cool moment because the feedback was amazing in terms of the sales that, that, that um, we drove for them. And we're now working on our autumn fair, which us, oh yeah, our autumn fair, which is October. Um, so that's that the spring fair was definitely a highlight, but I think, yeah, I think it's the little things and I'm sure you're the same when someone that you've admired for years and years and years has, has watched you or knows what you're doing or is a, a follower. That's, that's a pretty cool feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I recently had a experience. Um, Susan Kaplan, who's like a famous interviewer. Yes. Yeah, who, who we interviewed yesterday. Yeah, How funny yeah, is that? yeah. That's so funny. She actually emailed me today. She's like, oh, like uh, I'm talking about you on Sherlock's, and we're um, we're, oh, really? yeah, we're working on an exclusive well, collaboration. Her, she literally <laughs> came off. She came off the interview, and she was like, oh my god, that was incredible. Like. That was that woman is incredible. Her life's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I love her. And I've been admiring her for years. And she, um, you know, we chatted about an exclusive collaboration, which we'll be launching in third quarter. And she told me that she's a massive fan of Astrid Me and she loves what what I've built. And, you know, that, that really made me really teary. Yeah. But that's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's really cool. Something small like that can just really drive you, I think. Especially because women just don't champion women enough or vocally. You know, I think sometimes women are amazing and sometimes, you know, for quite a long time, I think, because I didn't have a magazine background, people were quite snobby and, and you just, they didn't want to admit that they were, you know, Sherlock followers. So it was almost like a secret because I didn't come from the magazine world and I wasn't, you know, I hadn't sat in the front row next to them for long. They didn't really kind of want to admit that they were a subscriber. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first time I revealed it publicly. So um, be on the lookout. But but anyways, like talking about you now coming from editorial background, I feel like I almost feel like you've built sheer love the way it is because you didn't have that editorial background. You didn't come with an ego saying like, oh, this is how it should be. And you are so innovative. And I feel like you've built something very, very different, um, you know, in a very competitive landscape of editorial. How do you think you've um, done this? What's like, uh, I guess like you've talked about being very inclusive, bringing all these platforms together, but what, I, I guess if you had to distill your strategies down, how would you articulate that? Do you know the hardest, well, this is hard to answer. The, the hardest people that it has been to recruit into Sherlock has been people that have the Sherlock's eye, mm. product editors. And 
there have been times when someone has launched and I thought, shit, that's like really close to us and don't like that. And, and then I've seen their product edits and I'm like, okay, it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think we, I think A, we've always tried to, to educate, it sounds cheesy, but educate, but not intimidate and fashion is quite intimidating mm. and that's part of its mystery and the excitement and you know its exclusivity and why it's so aspirational but I think we've tried to kind of ground it a bit more but in a very feminine mm. way and you know Sherlock's is feminine and there are other publications where we're like no that's that's very this publication not very us and I think we have a very clear idea of what our vision is and you know we want to be strong women but we don't want to lose our femininity and I've been very aware for a very long time that different women read shit up with with you know different um you know different spending power different earnings different ages of their life different stages of their life and that's not been you know spending money has not been the kind of common denominator the common denominator has been style and what unites shitlucks readers is that you know they are interested in life and they want to live a stylish life and that might be buying a really great linen shirt m&s by the way they do great linen shirts um or it might be you know buying one from reformation and or a sino that's 600 pounds versus 30 pounds and I think that's always been quite um satisfying is seeing people with as I said totally in totally different income brackets getting something from Sherlock's and we work really really hard to balance high street and high end and to do both on the same platform um and so far it's worked but I think back to that kind of editorial vision it's that's been the hardest thing is to recruit people that have a shared vision with me. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're interviewing three people next week to try and grow that team. But our, I think our look and feel is pretty unique and we work so hard on that. Um, and I think that that's got us to this point. And I hope we won't lose that kind of USP. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I completely agree because Shira Lokes to me is, um, you know, very aspirational, but also very approachable and relatable. I feel like I can dress like that. Whereas like if I go into Vogue, if I go into Vogue, like it's impossible. Like, I can't dress like that. <laughs> yeah. And we every, every day we look at our content and we look at our calendar and we go, is there something for every, is there something at every price point in that? Is that all too expensive? Is that all too cheap? Is that you know, is that realistic? Have we got a restaurant in there that's, you know, 20 pounds ahead versus a restaurant that might be hundred pounds ahead? You know, we are, that's something we are asking ourselves those questions. We're asking ourselves if we're being diverse enough, you know, if we're being broad enough on product selection, on price point, et cetera. Every single day we're asking ourselves those questions. So that's, that's great that you feel that. Yeah, love that, love that. <laughs> so what what is your ultimate vision for the brand? Do you have like a five-year plan, 10-year plan? I 
on paper, no, I don't. I did. My husband said to me, the other day, you really need to find me a plan. I, I feel like in digital, that's just obsolete within moments. Um, I always, Mark Zuckerberg, who said, move quickly and break things. That is very much my mantra. Um, and we also have we also have something called the Daily Brief, which um, goes out, the Daily News and Brief, which goes out at 7 o'clock every morning, which is a summary of the day's news from the day before. And that is so popular. Um, so popular. And that came about because I used to get the week, the subscription of the week. And I used to get to a Thursday when the new one would come in. I was like, I haven't even finished last week's copy. I'm about to get another one. And there was no daily <laughs> digital summary of news and current affairs. And I was like, I don't have time to read newspaper. I mean, you must be joking. I literally walked into the office and said to one of my team, right, we need to launch a daily email. And I think we launched it. We'd recruited somebody, designed it, like fully come up with the concept and everything. Within three weeks, it was out. And um, you know, similar for our podcast. My husband was written to podcasts really, really early. And we, I mean, I was like, right, we need a podcast. And I think we, I think within two weeks we had a podcast. So it's so hard to know what five years looks like. I asked this question, but I'm the same. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, it's I, constantly I, evolving. Yeah. I mean, I want to be leading the digital space and, and, you know, for retained you know, what's at the essence of shit like that, you know, that femininity and that style and, you know, that support from women. But, but the honest, honest answer is I don't know. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what it looks like other than probably very different from today. <laughs> we'll just be on the lookout. So Georgie, <laughs> uh, to, to, to your personal, um, I guess, some personal questions. I know you have three gorgeous children. How do you maintain balance if there is any? It's really hard. In fact, you and I uh, are involved in the same event later on. And I think it was the founder of um, Jojo Mama Baby, Laura Tennyson, who said, I mean, you can't as an entrepreneur watch the series. The amount of series we've started while we've had like a window on a Sunday night and then we've never watched another one. <laughs> um, it's really hard, isn't it? But um, I think when you love what you do and you're a driven person with a good work ethic, it it doesn't feel as laborious as it is when you work for someone else. I know someone who the other day said, God, I've got a woman on my team and she's a mother and she works until midnight every night. And she's done this for years and years and years and years. And, and I said, well, she won't, she won't. And he, they said, oh yeah, he, she earns a good salary. I was like, well, she'll snap. You know, she, the, the money will become irrelevant. She's, she's working for somebody else. I think when you're doing it for yourself and you're driven then you don't resent it as much. I'm sure. I hope you'd agree. I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Am I, am I someone who switches off my phone and says, right now I'm going to be a mother. I mean, I, I would lie on the road for my children tomorrow. They are, they are so loved. I mean, as would any mother, I mean, they are so loved and, and we're very affectionate parents and I'm lucky because my business is 10 minutes from my house so I can get to school things and whatever, but it's chaos. Like it's absolute chaos, but I think they really know that they're loved. And I think that <laughs> they see their mother like working her ass off. And I think I'm setting a good example. Yeah. And, and, you know, we go on holiday and literally Coco and I go on holiday and we're like, right, we're going to come up with a business plan. And, and we literally went on holiday. We came up with a business plan for a subscription service for dolls clothing. Uh, no way. It, by the way. But <laughs> we were like, right, you buy the doll and then every month in the post, 
you get a piece of clothing for your doll. And we, and we talked about how we were going to market it and, how, and what we we're going to charge and where we we're going to get made. And, and so I, I love that we have those conversations and I feel that's really important in the world that they're going into. I feel like the national curriculum is ridiculously dated and they're learning, you know, capital cities, which they can Google, as a friend of mine pointed out to me the other day, versus what an ISA is and, and you know, what good branding means and all those things. Um, so I, I feel like I'm playing an important role in that sense, but it is chaos and I'm not going to say it's perfect. And, you know, I have help um, but I you know they know they're loved and and I hope that they'll you know admire me admire me for it uh, I'm sure they do and I love how you're coming up with business models with Coco and your holidays <laughs> that sounds so fun but that's the dream for it me. is fun it's good chat it's good chat <laughs> yeah yeah and you can actually have a productive chat with your children rather than talking about oh like did you do your homework or like yeah. what's your grade and we, yeah, yeah we drive past there's a shoe shop locally and we drove past it and it wasn't there and they're like why isn't it there anymore and I was like well probably probably wasn't profitable enough and they're like what does that mean and then we so we really try and we're trying to you know bring them up to be savvy and whatever because it's a freaking tough world that we're bringing them up into so I feel like yeah trying to fill that bit that they don't get at school maybe yeah I love that so what one final question before we wrap that what would you tell your 25 year old self Georgie that it takes a long time <laughs> um I'd say go for it but it but just know know what you're committing to and be sure you've got the stamina for it because you know it's it's a slow game however impatient you are there aren't many overnight successes and um it takes it takes a long time but it's worth it Yeah, I completely agree with that. Thank you so much, Georgie. Thank you so much for your honest and authentic conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been fab to talk. And I look forward to doing the same to you soon on the Sherlock's podcast. (laughs) Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a review. And remember to join us over at Astrid and Mew on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for more source of inspiration.